What is the difference between leading forward your men, if you're an army, your men in fear or in faith? Very good question. We'll talk about that today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery Television, and we are discovering the Word of God, the most important book of all. And as we do that, we're going to study in about five minutes. This is very important. First Samuel chapter 13, and we're going to look at a couple of things here. It's going to be very interesting. Now, we're going to do that in five minutes, but Corey's coming up in 20 minutes. Corey? I'm going to be giving a little bit of an overview and commentary on the life of King Saul. Ryan? Who was Samuel's firstborn son? Was it Joel, as 1 Samuel 8.2 records, or was it Vashni, as 1 Chronicles 6.28 claims? Well, that's the question I'm going to be trying to answer a little bit later on. That's a good one. A good one. Janice? Today, God's Word in our heart. All right. Coming up in 25 minutes right now, open up your Bible guide and let's listen to God. First Samuel 13, 1 through 15. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself three thousand men of Israel. Two thousand were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and a thousand were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it said that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, thirty thousand chariots and six thousand horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. Then he waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and a peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept 
the commandment of the Lord your God which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people present with him, about six hundred men. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 through 15. Today we continue reading through the Bible, 1 Samuel 13, 14, 15, and 16. Now Saul was established as the king of Israel, but he did not rule following the Lord as he should have. The passage we read today exposes some harsh truths about Saul and reasons why God had rejected his kingship. Saul was a handsome and a stately man on the outside, but inside he was stubbornly proud and sinful. The outside certainly isn't everything, and the books of Samuel reinforce this for us. Leadership begins in the heart, and the flesh follows. Good and bad are all judged in the spirit. The results of our actions make sense to most people on the outside. Our actions and consequences can be tracked. But the truth, our good and evil intentions, are known by God. He sees all of us. And as Christians, we must always consider what the Holy Spirit says before we make our own decisions about anything. And I mean anything. Isn't that interesting? Uh, it really is. And today, let me just re remind you to, to uh, write for your Bible guide if you don't have one. Uh, very important. Go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on the webpage, which has the Bible guide on it, and it'll take you through and you can download it exactly like we printed it. But also you can write and get yours mailed to you, or you can call us the same way and get it mailed to you. There's a page for every day we cover, and it's very important. Ryan and Corey have their segments in here, or some, some of their segments in here, and there's writing in there for you. So the Bible guide is very, very important. Today, as we focus on this, we need to consider the failure. The failure. Oh my goodness, we're going to talk about failure. Father, help us today as we read your word and open it up and listen to what you've said to us. I pray that we would learn to listen to your word and apply it. Uh, we, we have in our lives failures and, and help us to see them as you have seen them and help us to understand that you teach us through them how to no longer be a failure in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, as we consider this, 1 Samuel chapter 13, beginning with verse 1, here is what the Bible says. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gabeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his own tent. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Gibeah. 
and the Philistines heard of it. Well, then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land saying, let the Hebrews hear. Now all of Israel heard it and said that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Which brings me to our first point. The battle begins because of Saul's son, Jonathan, who attacked them. Remember that God calls us to make moves for him at his direction, not on the reaction to moves made by the enemy. You know, this is really important because a lot of people wait for something to happen and then they can respond. But let me tell you that there are times when God tells us to act. And we need to go forward when God says, go do this. We need to go forward and act. That's important. When we see someone asking for food or money or whatever, we need to act and we need to go forward. We don't need to wait till they come to us. It's very important, beloved. That's what we need to do. Now, as we consider this, we go forward in 1 Samuel 13, beginning with verse 5. It says, then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand, which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of beth When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in thickets and in rocks, in holes and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. And as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal. And all the people followed him, trembling. Fascinating. Beloved, King Saul led his men in fear, not in faith. In fear, not in faith. As we follow the Lord, we learn to live and lead in faith, not in fear. You know, one, so one thing to remember is what somebody said to me. They said, fear is not an emotion. It is a spirit. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. Paul's talking to Timothy. That is so true. We don't follow God in fear, running behind every rock or every corner. We follow God in faith, knowing that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. That's how we follow God. And when we do that, things change in our life. And we need to understand we're, we're not proud at all, but we know who God is. We know who Jesus is and we know we're his sons. Very important. All right, let's go on to chapter 13, verse eight. Here is what the Bible continues to say. Then he waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattered from him. Interesting. This reminds me a little bit of Gideon. So Saul said, bring burnt offerings and a peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, well, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed that and that the, the Philistines had gathered together at Michmash. Then I said, uh, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled 
to offer a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly, foolishly. You have not kept the commands of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah, a Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 men. This is fascinating, beloved. King Saul reacted in panic, not in assurance of victory in the Lord. He was panicked. So, beloved, as we follow the Lord, we learn to wait and trust upon God and his word to deliver us. We are ultimately looking for God's deliverance from the enemy. Beloved, we cannot do it ourselves. And there are certain things that we are not called to do, but we simply pray and say, oh God, help us today in Jesus name. Amen. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, uh, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. So I find the life of King Saul to be an incredibly tragic one. It's a very human story. It's full of hope. It's also full of sin and it's full of judgment. I love how the literary structure of 1 Samuel really allows us to dig deep into this really transitional figure of King Saul. So let's do a little bit of an overview of his life as the Bible writes it. The biblical figure of Saul, son of Kish, marks a major transition for the nation of Israel, who at the time had been existing under the leadership of Samuel, acting priest and judge. Samuel, with his distinctively providential birth and continued dedication to God, had overseen a type of revival. But as Samuel aged, the Israelites wanted more structured leadership. They wanted dynasty, a monarch. This demand for kingship went against the order of God, and yet, like many instances in their past, God gave them what they asked for. He gave them a king that was tailored to them. In the text of the Bible, Samuel is told to listen to them and give them a king, even though God tells Samuel who to anoint. This is in clear contrast to the next king of Israel, David. In his case, God tells Samuel, you are to anoint for me the one I indicate. This seems to show that God's first choice of king was in accordance to the state of Israel. He gave them a king they deserved. Then his second choice was for him. David was the king Israel needed to point them to God. This assertion gains some traction when careful attention is paid to the details of the narrative. The way that it's written records the dark, concerning state and even irony of Saul as king. 
For example, when we are introduced to Saul, we're told that he is the son of Kish, a Benjamite. This family alone made an extremely ironic choice of king because just a generation or so earlier, the tribes of Israel had made a pact to completely exterminate the Benjamites from existence because of their evil that was said to have surpassed even the icon of ancient evil, Sodom and Gomorrah. What's more, we learn that Saul was from the very city that emulated and surpassed Sodom, Gibeah. Even Saul's life as a Benjamite would have stemmed from the terrible accounts of forced marriage recorded in Judges 21. These reasons may have sparked Saul's incredulous comment to Samuel when he complimented Saul's family. But am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel, and is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? On top of this, we're told that Saul's father, Kish, was a man of standing or a man of valor, which is the same Hebrew word used to describe the evil men of Benjamin back in Judges. Saul is publicly anointed king at Mizpah, where the tribes had gathered to vow to destroy the tribe of Benjamin. And like his surviving ancestors before him, when Saul is sought, he's found hiding from Israel. Saul's first action as king is also to ironically save the city of Jabesh-Gilead that was previously slaughtered by Israel to get wives for his ancestors. In Saul, God gave his people the king they asked for, the king they deserved. And then he gave them the house of David from whom would one day come the Messiah. So that was a really quick overview of the character of King Saul and a little bit about how the Bible presents him. If you want to dig even deeper into this, I would really encourage you to check out the six-part Bible study that I did. It's on our website. It's called Understanding Saul. You can also call the offices and inquire about it. Uh, but yeah, it's set up where an individual can go through it, or you could also use it for a Bible study uh, or a small group. So if you're interested in that, call or check out our website. Yeah, that, that would be good to do. And uh, I, I strive, I've seen them. I strongly recommend that they're good stuff. Thanks. Good stuff, Corey. Excellent. Ryan? All right. Well, I know that our assigned reading today is 1 Samuel 13 to 16, but I want to talk about a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 8, which was a part of our weekend reading, because there seems to be a conflict between this passage and 1 Chronicles chapter 6. That's because, well, 1 Samuel 8 2 says that Samuel's firstborn son was named Joel, 1 Chronicles 6.28 claims that his name was Vashni. So which passage is correct? Although the Bible claims to be the inerrant word of God, it seems to be confused over who Samuel's firstborn son was. While 1 Samuel 8.2 says it was Joel, 1 Chronicles 6.28 claims that it was Vashni. However, the answer to this conundrum is no great mystery. Samuel's firstborn son was indeed Joel, as 1 Samuel 8.2 records. In fact, 1 Chronicles 6.28 in the Syriac and Arabic text also confirms that Joel was Samuel's firstborn son. However, the problem comes because in some manuscripts the name was dropped from 1 Chronicles 6.28 due to a copyist error, and a Hebrew word denoting the second, as in the second son, was taken as the proper name Vashni, as rendered in the King James Version of the Bible but there is full agreement between these two verses in the original manuscripts. In regards to such transmissional errors, the late Old Testament scholar Gleason Archer remarked, It is of course beyond the capability of anyone to avoid any and every slip of the pen in copying page after page from any book, 
sacred or secular, especially when working with a damaged or faded manuscript. And as would be the case with any other work of literature, a mistake in the copy of that manuscript is not the same as a mistake in the original manuscript. That being said, textual analysis reveals that scribal errors within the Bible are all minor, mostly involving numbers and names, and do not alter any biblical doctrine whatsoever. As Dr. Mark Bird confirms, we can have a high degree of certainty regarding the actual wording of the original text for the vast majority of passages in both the Old and New Testaments, and many translations provide a careful representation of the biblical text. You know, one of the most significant finds related to the Bible was the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947. And I don't have time to go into detail about those right now, but in a nutshell, what they've revealed is that the modern copy of the Bible that we have is virtually identical to those ancient scroll copies. So we can be very confident that the modern text that we have is a faithful copy of the original biblical text. And if you do want to do your own research on this, then there's two scholars that I'd recommend. One is Craig Evans, and the other is Josh McDowell. And guys like these will really help you to understand the significance of the Dead Sea Scrolls and how they relate to the Bible. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, about 900 scrolls that were discovered in 1947, that's when they began to uh, uncover them and discover them. Uh, they are amazing. Oh, amazing. one of the biggest finds related yeah. to the Bible ever. It, it's, it really is amazing. So that's great. And uh, that, that's excellent, Ryan. Uh, now, I want you, if you're watching the program on YouTube or if you're watching the program on the internet, you can share this with anybody you want to. Just uh, copy the uh, encode and send it to somebody and share it with them. Or you can like it. Make sure you like it and subscribe. By the way, if you're one of our three Bible uh, Discovery Guide uh, places on YouTube, just uh, like it. Very, very important. And subscribe to it. So, Janice. If you like it. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you like it. Here's yes, the key if words. You like All right. I've got three words I want to share because Saul said it. I felt compelled. I always get to this verse and I think, oh, Saul, I've been there. I've been there. Um, you know, Samuel was supposed to come as priest of Israel and offer up an offering to God for Israel. And... We've read through the scriptures. We know what happened. Saul is feeling overwhelmed. The people are discouraged. They're terrified. They're leaving. And we hear after Samuel says to Saul, what have you done? What a question. And of course, Saul knew exactly what he was talking about. We get to verse 11 and Samuel said, what have you done? We skip down to verse 12 and Saul says, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I've not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And we have to be very careful because our feelings can be deceptive. And I know for myself that I have been there more than one occasion. And I'm sure that if you're honest with yourself, you've been in those situations where something within you, you just feel compelled to do something. But we always need to, to check and hide that word of God in our hearts. It's interesting, right? Because we can listen to David's Psalm 40, verse 6. David said, Sacrifice and offering you, God, did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come, David says. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God, and your law is written in my heart. 
no matter what that circumstance was, Saul did not have the permission of God to do what he did, even though he was very fearful, even though that was the great propeller of that urgency to get it done. Where was Samuel? The people are leaving me. I need to do this now. And it wasn't about the offering. It was about being faithful and obedient to the word of God. The only way that we can have the word of God to be obedient to it is to get it into our heart and not just get it into our heart, but then to begin to apply it in the situations. And it's very difficult when you're in that situation like Saul was to make the right decision unless you have that relationship with God and you establish that relationship by learning that that the more you trust in God, the easier that it becomes in those situations. And as priest of Israel, Samuel should have made that offering. Samuel would drive that point home a little bit later on. We're going to read it in in 1 Samuel 15, that that, uh, Samuel reminds uh, Saul of this. So Samuel said, has the Lord, uh, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices and in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. This was a willful turning away. And that's what we need to be careful of. Psalm 119.11, again, it says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So let's not be tempted to always go with what we feel compelled to do, because if it goes against the word of God, we shouldn't be doing it. So we need to have that word of God in our hearts, and we're not perfect people, that's for sure. Right, Rod? Absolutely. Sometimes we do. Sometimes our emotions get away with us. We see that in David's own life as well. But his heart was one. God tells us that God anointed David as king because he had a heart that that was seeking after God. And that's what we need to do. If If we do things and then make excuses for it all the time, we're not truly seeking after the Lord. We want to be Lord. But when we allow God to work in our hearts and, and, and lean on his understanding and acknowledge him in all our ways, he will direct our paths. But when he gives us direction, we need to follow it. I hope you learned much today, and I want to tell you that Pastor Rod Hembry is a channel on YouTube that you can go to and download videos on the teachings of Psalms, download videos that we did not put on television. These are programs and everything else. So you go Pastor Rod Hembry at YouTube, look it up and subscribe to it, and we'll send you a reminder. Now, let's pray today and say, Lord, I want to lead in faith, not in fear. Help me today in Jesus' name, amen.